You're listening to Public Announcement. I'm James Ellis. Uh, and I'm Chris Black. On today's show, we're joined by graphic design sweetheart, Dwayne King. Dwayne's an old friend of mine, someone I've worked on projects with over the years. Uh, yeah, man. Thinking for a Living was uh, super cool. I should explain, um, Thinking for a Living is an old project of Dwayne's and, and the site is is down, which is fine. And, that, and that's not what today's show is about. That site looked very, very cool, though. It had the soft pink background tone, which we today call millennial pink. Uh, he was very early on that. <laughs> sure. Like yeah. that site has to be one of the reasons designers want to be, you know, the Financial Times or whatever with the the, the pink background. I think graphic designers have always loved a muted background tone, okay, though. Okay, well, Dwayne probably started that. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I'm not a designer, uh, so I just assume that he started that. <laughs> sure. Uh, we'll talk to him about his new project, of course, but uh, I truly want to ask him why the old uh, Thinking for a Living site is down. Uh, I, I like to use it for reference. Websites shouldn't go down anymore, like like go away entirely. That doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I have a question for you, though. Um, what does it mean when a website says, error, establishing a database connection? Like, what, how big of a problem is that? Like, what are we talking about? That, that, that's that's just the the standard MySQL database error message. Sure. sure. Uh, you know, meaning that you know the the database is down. Um, I'm pretty sure that the second iteration of the Thinking for a Living site ran on on WordPress. So the the, the the SQL database with all the content is is down for some reason. So WordPress is broken. Or maybe just the database. So even you don't know what that means. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I, I know. Sure, sure. You could fix it, of course. Uh, but why does that have to happen? Why can't websites continue running forever? It's a computer. You yeah. know, just leave the shit running. I'm, th I'm thinking of the archives, bro. I don't understand why the internet has to behave like a damn Snapchat story. <laughs> Digital is surprisingly ephemeral. Yeah, but I mean, how much would it cost to leave a website running? Like just the archive. Not much, I, but I don't think the cost is the issue. Um, no one has time to keep all these projects afloat. Like I, I'm saying, you know, people forget that websites are actually, you know, big pieces of software that someone has to maintain. Sure. And eventually these things break, like technology changes, the world moves on. Maybe it's okay if people just missed it. Like you had to be around. Sorry. I mean, I know the internet way back machine, you know, archive.org or whatever, uh, will probably have the old site, yeah. but it'll look all shitty. You know, I want accurate archives. <laughs> Uh, there should be something that lets people with old websites just, you know, freeze it in time hmm. uh, just so I can go look around. It doesn't even have to do anything. Just screenshots would work. There, there's so many missing pictures on archive.org. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, we'll have to ask Dwayne. I, maybe he can talk about the life cycle of a classic self-initiated design project. <laughs> you love a self-initiated graphic design is my passion project. What is Dwayne? Yeah, I mean, of course. Um He's, he's always into interesting new things, and on today's show, we'll be talking to him about his new project, the Pioneer Plaque Project, which is pretty unique. It's Well, I love that it's less digital, you know, a little more connected to history. Mm -hmm. It steps beyond the graphic design world, and I'm into it, you know, and... Uh, bro, yeah. bro, bro, it's, it's graphic design in space. <laughs> Just come on. Space graphics. Well, he's brought uh, space graphics back to Earth. Well, it does look really nice. It's very, very well done. Sure, Pro gear. Sure, sure. Uh, yes. I wonder how long he's been sitting on the idea. Or, you know, or maybe it happened fast. Yeah, I don't know. I like the idea. Same. Yeah. I wonder. Fuck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. 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 We'll keep fucking with the campaign. Do not at me. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs>
Fuck, bro. I'm sorry. It's these three. No, no, no worries. Sorry. No worries. All right. I, I turned the buzzer off. I kind of want to start over anyway. No, bro. We're going to fast forward. Uh, you're listening to Public Announcement. I'm Chris Black. And I'm James Ellis. Right. So, like, what would you put into space, you know, as an artifact? Uh, Like, like an object? What object? I, I'm saying, what would you, Chris Black, send into space if you were in charge of that? Like, imagine if... Uh, out there in space, someone or something okay. uh, found said artifact uh, like a while from now. Uh, it's just floating out there. In space. Yeah. Like they find the artifact in space and it, you know, tells them what they need to, uh, what they need to know. Like here was good. This is what's good. <laughs> yeah. Here are things to, to know about us. You mean like our homepage? But in space and uh, for all of humanity, sure. I, I'm talking about an artifact that explains what we're into. You know, like we as in humans, uh-huh. unlike our destination homepage, this would be more of a galactic greeting card. Jesus Christ. Sh- uh, should any extraterrestrial life come across it? Man, I do not give a fuck about the alien <laughs> part of this. Uh, I'm just all set on aliens in general. And okay. if, if, if I were to meet one, okay, you know, that, that will happen. And so we can live with that result. And that's cool. <laughs> but I don't get like excited or jazzed about aliens. You understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, though. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> you know, like 1997's Contact. Like, th- that movie's not part of the problem. No. Uh, Jodie Foster, no, of course not. McConaughey talking about religion and, and space problems. It, it, it's so cool. I don't want to get too in the weeds about, like, alien shit. Mm. Uh, it's definitely not fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess movies with aliens are fine. Um, it's talking about them. Right. Well, I mean, I, I just want to hear about Dwayne's project, you know, not aliens. It's about the work. Right. I don't, I don't care about okay. aliens. Okay. <laughs> just give it some thought about like what you would want to send up to space that, you know, that's sort of representative of, of humanity and like, you know, and how do you want to handle that design job? That's what we're talking about. Okay. okay. I think it's a fair question. Sure. Sure. Uh, it's fair because this episode celebrates the 1972 mission to create the oldest artifact of mankind. Dun, dun, dun. Whoa, man, whoa. Because you know what? A billion years from now. A billion years from now. Mountain uh, building and erosion will have destroyed. Mountain building and erosion will have destroyed everything, everything on the earth. But this plaque, this communication, if you will, it will be intact. It will remain intact. Uh, that's what Carl Sagan said, man. Wow. Yes. Wow. That's how he described a project he was involved in. In the early 70s, there was a project to create a gold anodized aluminum aluminum plaque. Like an actual tangible plaque. Yes, the Pioneer plaque. To be launched aboard NASA's twin spacecraft, Pioneer 10 and 11. The plaque designed by Frank Drake and Carl Sagan with artwork prepared by Linda Salzman Sagan, was identically bolted to Pioneer 10 and 11's antenna supports. There are stars which are billions of years older than our sun. Some of them very likely have planets. Therefore, I can imagine civilizations immensely beyond the capabilities of our own. It was designed to show 
scientifically educated inhabitants of some other star system, you know, aliens who might intercept it millions of years from now. Each plaque would portray to them a bit about humanity and what we were up to out here in the stars. I've been in the design business for a while. Never worked on graphics intended for um, outer space. Yeah, like the two of us, man. point out because yeah i'm seeing a lot of rocket stuff lately you know rockets going to space come back to earth mm. Mm. but but seriously carl sagan is very very real uh without sagan there's no science celebrities you know I, I, there's no neil degrasse tyson no bill nye the science guy which uh, to be fair i could live without but you know a science woman celebrity i think is overdue science technology engineering for men yeah the the state of the art is uh a bit behind the times in that regard. Sagan's very unique, though. You know, in all seriousness, I'm not at all surprised uh, that he would be the person to work on a project like this, designing our, our first permanent space object. Uh, <laughs> and if you're going to space for the first time, you got to think about this shit. You have to plan for it. Plans? Space plans. Should we explain that you're not a science guy, though? That you, like, you're not a STEM guy? <laughs> I'm not. Uh, but, but neither are you. Bro. Technology. That's the T in STEM. Uh, but you're not really a STEM guy. I don't think web nerd counts. I don't uh, think HTML counts either. <laughs> what does the M, what does it actually stand for? Medicine? Math. Oh, oh numbers. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you remember when everyone uh, was reading A Brief History of Time? Sure. Yeah. That book was... Um, you know Carl Sagan wrote the introduction. Yes, I know. I know. It's a classic. But personally, I, I, you know, I, I can't read about um, quantum time bridges or uh, black hole antimatter. Cool particles. Remember we went to Huntsville, Alabama to the, to the Space Museum? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't care about that. I'm, I'm more interested in having an astronaut helmet. Yeah, but you, but you like a good story. Of course, and, and this is the kind of space story that I can actually get behind. How much was that, 15 minutes? Yeah, well, something like that, but uh, it'll cut down. You know, we'll keep it moving. Should we actually literally uh, explain what Dwayne's project is before we talk to him or let the listenership figure it out during the interview? I think it's fine to tease it out, you know, and, and then just jump to, you know, our conversation. Should we play a song, though? Actually, I was thinking just now, like, when we were talking, like, like maybe we, we put a Pink Floyd song underneath the space chatter. Yeah, space rock, very appropriate. 
I guess we could use another song before we interview Dwayne, though. Like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not, not space rock. Uh, we could, we could do something related to Dwayne's great name. You know, Dwayne King is mm. just a plus plus. Oh, uh, King Tough Trap, perhaps. No, no. no. <laughs> Bring me the disco King by David Bowie, or King for a Day. Fool for a Lifetime by Faith No More? Faith No More, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and I I don't actually, I don't know that Bowie track. Hey, it's, not, it's not one of Bowie's strongest. Uh... Oh, there's another Bowie tune, Kingdom Come, off uh, Scary Monsters. It all comes back to Bowie for you, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I'd send into space. You know, that'd be my station-to-station station message. Uh, Calm down, Diamond Dog. Traveling at the speed of life. Actually, you know, I, I think I got it. What's that? It's good to be king. You rock. It's good to be king If just for a while To be there in velvet Yeah, to give them a smile It's good to get high And never come down It's good to be king Of your own little town Yeah, we need to double up the chorus Yeah, I've never, I've never done that before yeah, actually about but i'm pretty sure that's gonna work it's not about space travel or carl sagan or graphic design you know but we, you know we don't have to hold one note the whole the whole show of course not uh but if you could find me a song about graphic design i'd love to hear it i'd <laughs> <laughs> be bad at that let's jump to our conversation with Dwayne king he joined us live from portland oregon via skype Synced to tape. Except we don't have tape to sync. Dwayne wasn't recording the, the first few minutes, which, which is just mainly us making fun of old projects, being offline. But anyway, here's an edit of me and Chris's side of the conversation. Dwayne sorts out his mic shortly. Hello. What's up? Doing good. Okay. Cool. Wow, <laughs> real pro. <laughs> I knew who I was sending that PDF to. I mean, I had to, you know, do it right. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was, uh, you know, there's a lot of inspiration, I think, from, especially once Thinking for a Living had the, the links and interesting things. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, it, it does bring us to... What is going on at thinkingforaliving.org? I do love the error message, though. I error establishing a database connection. It's the great way to let people know it's offline. <laughs> so you, you are definitely recording? Uh, yes. Yeah, no worries, though. Absolutely ah, no worries. unacceptable, but 
we have to move on. <laughs> and we're done. Thank you for your time, sir. Great. <laughs> you know what? You know what we'll do. One. You know what we'll do. We will. It's a good way to get into the Pioneer Plaque Project. What would you send? into space you know uh, if it was up to you it's funny because i think that the pioneer project or voyager for that matter both of those are such ambitious and challenging design projects i mean trying to create something that that says like who when and where it came from to other intelligent life forms uh you know what a challenging like design project to untangle some sort of semiotic communication I have to say, as a side note, the thing that pollutes my brain when you ask me that question uh, was that I have this lofty idea of sending one of these pioneer plaque reproductions into low Earth orbit. Really? <laughs> it would be really cool to like take a you know like a GoPro and a weather balloon. <laughs> And just send one out. I just want to say for the record, low Earth orbit has never been said on this podcast. Probably never will be said again on this podcast. So I just want to congratulate you for that. Awesome. I don't want to disappoint. But, but the, the idea of, of sending something that's supposed to be representative of humanity, it's such a strange design project, you know, so it's just a fun thought experiment to me to, to wonder what would you put up there or who would you put in charge of designing that? Agreed. How and when did you first hear the story of the pioneer plaque was it when you were a kid yeah did it stick with you then um my dad was an engineer um so that's kind of how i got started as a designer actually i would sit next to him as he was drafting and i would draw alongside him and so i really enjoyed technical drawing and in fact my very first paid project was when i was i think in fifth or fifth or sixth grade, I did a, a drawing of a, uh, I took the, the blueprints of a wire rope testing machine and I drew it in perspective uh, from elevation views and I got $300 for it. That was the first time that I realized that I could make money as a, a visual artist. That's pretty good. 300 bucks is like, that's strong. It was good. It was. Um, <laughs> but because of the influence of my father, um, I watched a lot of like science shows in particular, uh, Cosmos, uh, Personal Voyage with Carl Sagan. I believe that was um, in the early 80s, maybe late 70s. And on that show, Sagan would discuss Pioneer and Voyager. And I think that's where the romantic idea got first seeded. So that was a long time ago. Um, a very long time. Actually, I do, I do recall that you had the, the Pioneer10.com domain name kicking around for a while. Yeah, it used to be a portfolio website. Um, and I went by the name test pilot at Pioneer 10. And uh, earlier days of the internet, everybody hid behind an avatar and a fake name. And over many years of trial and error in my own career, I realized, oh, yeah, I guess I should just be me. I prefer the fake name and the avatar, but you know. I don't know. King Dwayne is very strong. Yeah, that's strong, dude. You got blessed <laughs> with that. Like, that's blessed. I'm glad it worked. Don't hide, man. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of my personality. You know, to call myself King Dwayne sounds so pompous, um, but I kind of like the contrast to the weird awkwardness of really being me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there's two sides to every coin, you know. I mean, it's you're you're a exactly. man. You have to you have to show all of your facets, you know. And besides DwayneKing.com was taken, um, there's another guy who uh, ruins my na- good name. I, I find that a lot of decisions get made because of what URL is available. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're, you know, uh, I'm sure you've bought many in your time. So I'm glad this one worked out for you. It did. It did. And besides, all my report cards said King Dwayne on it. So oh, why not? God, it's just so much history. Everything comes back around. So you had the domain. Yeah. Uh, but when did you have the idea to do this project, to make the replica? That all came around um, this last year. I was on a sabbatical. Um, and at the end of the sabbatical, I just started thinking about the Pioneer plaque and making my own. I was like, OK, before I go back to work, I'm going to produce one of these for myself. I had in the past, when I launched my first website, Pioneer 10, I had actually gone to great lengths to track down the best images that I could find of uh, the Pioneer plaque, and I traced it in Illustrator, and it was like crazy laborious, all of those uh, little, you know, binary tick marks that are in that pulsar map, you know, it was hard to, sure. took forever, but I did do it. And so I had this really rad piece of vector art um, that I had uh, spent time on. And I was like, I bet with this rad vector art and a little bit of research that I could produce one of these. I know how to use laser engravers and CNC machines. There's all kinds of cool technology now that I could actually make one of these. Yeah, you have- had the ability to do it. And by the way, any time that I had daydreamed about this stuff, honestly, I, I kind of hope that somebody else could make one for me. I would rather <laughs> buy one. Um, Story of my life, Dwayne. Story of my life. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Anytime I did research on it, I could tell that, you know, any of the reproductions that I saw were produced inaccurately. There were errors in the shape of the metal itself, or it lacked the mounting holes, or the imprint method was like, it was produced more like disublimation, like a... a, a trophy printing. So anyways, because I had this vector art and there were all these inconsistencies in um, available replicas, I started uh, digging into research, the specifics of materials, um, the dimensions themselves. And in that process, I actually stumbled on a BBC documentary uh, called The Beauty of uh, Diagrams that had a history of the Pioneer plaque. There was a whole episode on the Pioneer plaque. And I think it was produced in 2014. And in it, I saw the engraving of the Pioneer plaque being done live. And I realized in that moment that, wow, those are old man hands. And that was, the Pioneer plaque was created 45 years ago. That looks like a 70-year-old person's hands. I bet that guy's alive. That might be the actual person who made these things. And I started researching it, and sure enough, on the Wikipedia page, it actually says the Pioneer plaque was engraved by Precision Engravers in San Carlos, California. (laughs) I love that. I kind of thought to myself, it couldn't be that easy, could it? Right. (laughs) I googled Precision Engravers and I found, sure enough, it was still there. And I looked at Google Street View and in this little strip mall in the edge of this, uh, this city right outside of, I believe, um, the JPL labs. Um, that's why he got the contract. Here's this little trophy shop called Precision Engravers. And inside of this trophy filled window, 
was just in the corner was tucked a little sign that said home of the pioneer plaque. What you're saying, you're saying a trophy shop, like for kids, soccer games, trophies. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's, it is. And I mean, it's just all these like stacked up trophies in the window and just in the corner, home of the pioneer plaque. And probably, uh, you know, no telling how many people, how much foot traffic goes by there, but I bet most people don't care. But for me, it was like discovering a needle in a haystack. And so I, uh, I called up Precision Engravers and this guy answered, his, uh, his name is Ponciano Barbosa, and he's got a fairly thick accent. And I started talking to him about the Pioneer plaque and he was like, yes, I made that. <laughs> I had remarkably just called the guy out of the blue, and he's just a one-man shop who used to be a technical engraver some 45, 50 years ago for NASA and then opened a trophy shop. And it was probably one of the proudest moments in, in his career. And, um, you know, he's kind of he was shocked that I was interested in the plaque. Of course. I knew that. I knew that was going to be yeah. part of it. He'd be like, why do you care? <laughs> You know what exactly. I mean? um, and he, of course, told me about how the BBC had, you know, come all the way from London to record him. Right. So he'd already been recognized for for, for working on the plaque. He does actually sell um, reproductions of the Pioneer plaque. But once again, they're inaccurate. And it's funny because he actually has the original master templates um, that the Pioneer plaques were engraved from. Oh, so he has the master uh the original but oh, oh but, but but you're saying that this guy the original engraver ponce uh, what was this ponciano barbosa right so he made the pioneer plaque and he has the masters uh yeah because he made them um but in his like local trophy store he sells sort of goofy bad replicas right uh, like on mounted on cherry wood and they're uh made on brass and they have like ornate brass brads on them and of course he was trying to sell me on creating one of these and i could put whatever i wanted on the plaque <laughs> underneath and uh, i was like no no i actually want to make it with the rounded corners i want the holes the mounting holes exactly how they were um on the originals you know it it doesn't occur to everyone that for a bit of history like this, that that uh, that people would be interested, dare I say, obsessed with having a very accurate replica of the plaque. Right. It was an interesting conversation, of course, to have with him, uh, because given his age, you know, the Internet is a foreign thing to him. So talking about uh, who I am, <laughs> what I do and what my dreams were for uh, creating a reproduction of the plaque was all like, I don't know, talk, it was like talking to your grandparents about the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hitting him with all the details of what you want, uh, probably spooking this guy out. All of my requests are just slightly foreign to him. For one, for one he's like, I don't know why you want it in aluminum, uh, because that's a lot more expensive. And I was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> but it's exactly like the real one. Yeah. And that's what I want to want to do is create a 100% accurate replica. And he was like, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> and I was like, great, no problem. Um, you can make it, right? And uh, 
And in fact, when I got my first prototypes from him, he was so adamant that I try it in brass that I had to order one in brass too. <laughs> Just um, to keep him at bay and so, so you got everything you wanted. That's really exactly. Funny. Yep. So, uh, and again, at first, this was just about me making one for myself. I ordered a brass prototype and an aluminum prototype and uh, sent him money. I set up a, you know, a fraud proof credit card number. Fraud proof number? <laughs> because I'm calling some rando in uh, California. <laughs> sure. I... And handing over my credit card info over the phone. Oh, you're worried about privacy over here. Listen to you. I have no idea what. Come the... on now. Uh... <laughs> I just let it fly. It's just I'll kind of like cash in a damn envelope. Yeah. <laughs> Put a stamp on it. Hopefully, it gets there. You know what I'm saying? But so, so this is this is how it gets started. Uh, you've hunted down the craftsman just to um, get a pioneer plaque of your own but crafted to spec. A large part of the genesis of this project was um, in that ordering of this example for myself, this prototype. And once they arrived, um, you know, I unwrapped them and was sitting on my couch and, you know, the, the brass one, it disappointed just as I thought. It felt brass. It felt too glossy and shiny. But the aluminum one, it's like featherweight, super technical. The the engraving itself is just like really, really precise. It's like an Apple video, bro. Yes. <laughs> Aluminium. 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 And uh, it was at that point that I had the realization that, wow, I'm holding a thing that is exactly like the plaques that are on Pioneer 10 and 11, and one is 18 billion kilometers in one direction from Earth, and the other is 14 billion kilometers in the opposite direction away from Earth. And there's one Smithsonian, and like, I'm holding one on my couch. And then that was just kind of an epiphany where I was like, I bet I could put together a Kickstarter <laughs> for this. And I uh, started thinking about how I might be able to pull that off. Before we get into the Kickstarter project um, and all that stuff, can you, could you give the listenership some, some history on the Pioneer Project? You know, something that we can put music and, and, and cool sounds with. The following telephone recording is the signal from the United States Pioneer spacecraft as it passes the planet Pluto leaving our solar system. The plaque was born out of a visit by a science correspondent by the name of Eric Burgess to the TRW facilities prior to launch of Pioneer in 1972. The Jupiter Pioneers were built by TRW Systems of Redondo Beach, California. He went and previewed it and was kind of daydreaming about the fact that this is going to be the first man-made object to exit the solar system. And if that's the case, shouldn't we put like a greeting card from Earth on it? We uh, thought it would be a nice idea to have a kind of cosmic greeting card. But it was such a crazy idea that he knew that there would be no way that he could get it approved by NASA. The project involves some 25 million man hours of meticulous work by the government, industry, university, pioneer team. But he thought to himself about how could he help facilitate this and realized, well, Sagan could definitely sell this through NASA, and he happens to be at the facilities right now speaking uh, with Frank Drake about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. 
So he pitched the idea to Sagan and Sagan loved it. And of course, since Sagan and Drake were working on uh, the Arecibo message. And what is that? The Arecibo message was a, another attempt to communicate with extraterrestrials. I don't know if you know some of the history, Frank Drake's history, but not in addition to being uh, the founder of SETI, uh, he famously came up with an equation called Drake's equation. And it, it accounts for, uh, how do I put it? It estimates the uh, probability of intelligent life in the universe. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. That's, wow. That's a strong equation. It is. I, I know. That's I don't... some of the best math I've ever heard of. I don't really understand. Exactly. I mean, hard to compute over here. And I'm bad at fractions, so. Try algebra, bro. I can't even, I can barely add. <laughs> <laughs> this was early on in 72. It was early on in the sort of thinking about the what ifs and the possibilities of um, communicating with other life forms. That's the first time anyone has to worry about that outside of science fiction, no one really had to think that hard about like, what are we going to say to these dudes? Yeah, but <laughs> these people, I, we're about to head out there for the first time. We might ought to have like a business card. Some, some prepared statements, business like, card. You know, some remarks, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. Carl Sagan and Frank. Um, uh, Frank Drake. Right, Frank Drake. Um, he and Carl Sagan were, for this job anyway, they were, you know, they were the right people born at the right time. And there were some other interesting moments of uh, serendipity related to its um, ideation. That being that when Eric Burgess visited TRW, it was two months before the launch. And it just so happened that there was an experiment aboard Pioneer that had been canceled. And so there was a 12 pound um, experiment that got dropped off the spacecraft. I believe the whole spacecraft weighed like 150 pounds. By the way. What can 65 pounds of space-borne instruments tell us that Earth's finest facilities can? So that may, meant that, from at least from NASA's standpoint, adding a plaque wasn't a problem because it was within the weight tolerances. And then again, by a twist of fate, Sagan happened to be married to Linda Salzman Sagan, who uh, was a designer. And so there was someone to actually create the artwork and kind of fuse together the opportunity and the pulsar map that was created by Frank Drake under Carl Sagan's direction. So this is three people designing this project. Three people designing a, a project on a two-month deadline, which is why I love the story of Pioneer, is beyond just the uh, the, the design challenge itself. Um, I know that sometimes tight deadlines facilitate projects like this because uh, Sagan and Drake and Linda Salzman Sagan all speaking with directly with NASA leadership. So it probably was on a fast track um, approval process. And I think that that's why uh, the imagery looked the way that it did. You know, there was an attempt to create pan-racial representations of humanity, such a, which is a really big design challenge, and they were influenced by Linda's love of uh, Greek and Roman classical sculptures. Anyways, I think that the, the nudity, um, which was super controversial after launch, um, the public essentially went into uproar about how NASA sent pornography into space. It's America, man. 
I know. My, uh, my naked body is for God and my wife. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, we're going to space. This is a formal occasion. Everybody's wearing clothes. What's up? E.T. out there should know that we have uh, a, a, a sartorial sense. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Very important <laughs> to get that across. You know what? I think it actually makes sense that the plaque came to life in this way. And it's... There's no one better for the job than the Sagans and, and Drake. Exactly. I'm sure everyone collectively agreed that they were the right folks for the job with the appropriate resumes and credibility. So so, so NASA approves. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure they'd much prefer that the, the humans were wearing clothing, um, but <laughs> they approve. Exactly. The imagery, uh, you know, the Adam and Eve kind of association that I mentioned earlier, um, I think is... That was a smart choice. Yeah, it's really smart. I mean, the whole plaque is smart and, and highly technical, um, but the pan-racial biblical imagery, that's the uh, that's the art direction you want for your human infographics. <laughs> and and powerful. And, uh, you know, the way, the way that the Pioneer plaque works, by the way, is that in the top left quadrant of it is a, a unit of hydrogen. It's a hydrogen atom, and apparently it degrades at a certain fixed rate. And that rate determines a unit of measure, the yardstick for decoding the rest of the plaque. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's 21. I don't know what the units of measure are. But anyways, it determines a binary measurement that then can be used to compare the um, next to the woman on the far right side of the plaque is a little binary measurement indication of her height. Yeah, the, the technical aspects of the design are so hot dogging they're so uh, well you know how technical illustrations look like electrical diagrams schematics things like that they're all you know super mysterious looking there's something almost mystical or spiritual about the imagery itself i, I mean there's like these difficult to decipher visual language and iconography that feels like it's I don't know, something from uh, like... It's like out of a movie, man. Yeah. It's just kind of amazing when you, you combine like the Adam and Eve thing with this sort of like, I don't know, is it like dark magic kind of symbols and pictures of solar systems? Yeah, it's simple. It's simple line art, um, but it's pretty powerful and, and persistent. Exactly. It's no surprise to me that 1997's Contact, <laughs> starring Jodie Foster and uh, Texas Treasure, Matthew McConaughey, it's uh -huh. no surprise that the art in the movie kind of looks like this, meaning yeah. uh, the, the the binary diagrams that the aliens encoded into the audio signals. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that the plaque is part of what defines that whole visual language. I mean... It's, what an infographic exactly yeah it's such a strange design project like I, i'm not sure where i would start uh i'd probably just want to send records out to space i mean uh, <laughs> i think this is the same time as um rise and fall of what was that 73 72 anyway that's where my head would be chris I mean, can it be self-promotional or no? <laughs> uh, Gotta let them know. The brand is strong. No, I would probably send some like important issues of magazines from my youth. Sure. I mean, you know, archives. To educate them on important. They need to know about... Uh, the British subcultures of the late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> you know, but it's got to be personal or what's the point if it's not, you know... That is a good point. 
maybe um, you rock. Maybe instead of representing all of humanity, uh, you represent me, baby. <laughs> or maybe you just do a quick edit. Yeah, pick the right. I'll draft my own team, and they can represent humanity. I mean, that's pretty much what we do on our website. That is yeah. what we do. Yeah, when you get blessed with the with the credentials <laughs> for publicannouncement.org. dot org. Public announcement puts me in the driver's seat. You're representing humanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's a much better way to look at it. Love it. <laughs> Dwayne, what about you? I don't know. Um, Come on, something, something. It would be a, a such a. Like, I know it's daunting. I don't know if my brain is uh, programmed in a manner to create this sort of uh, this level of complexity. But you could do it. You've got a very strong portfolio. I mean, thinking of binary code in the seventies. I don't know what would be the equivalent of that for 2017. Yeah, like what would be an important technology that we sort of uh, barely understand now, but the one that will end up taking over everything? Probably a Taylor Swift album. You know what, Dwayne? I think you truly would be a good person for the job. You'd source the right people. You'd, you'd do it responsibly. Well, I would try. You're 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 a, you're a responsible guy. And I would love to um, take on that assignment if NASA happens to listen to your podcast. Well, they obviously do, so that's not really a question. It's a global <laughs> global listenership. Yeah, beyond global, I don't, beyond global, extra global, I, extra global. Said he picks up a new signal and it's public announcement. Exactly. Well, I want to I want to ask about the Kickstarter part of all this stuff. Sure. I couldn't help but think maybe this could be a new paradigm. So why why did you choose to go that route? The reason for launching it on Kickstarter was it was kind of a, a culmination of things, honestly. Um, for one, uh, for a few years, I was on an influencer list where people would reach out to me every once in a while when cool Kickstarter projects uh, would launch and ask me for my support on Twitter. Um, some of those projects were cool things like the NASA graphic standards manual or the New York City Transit Authority manual. I was always pleased to help because I love the design of those things and there are artifacts that I thought should exist. I, I like the idea of in both of those projects or all the standards manual projects for that matter of creating access for many to something that's super exclusive. And over time, one day, uh, I, I believe it was when the comp notebooks launched, um, the same people reached out to me and all of a sudden they had an email signature that said that they're, they had a company called Van Alexandra and it was a crowdsourcing PR firm. I would be very skeptical as soon as I saw that. It's like <laughs> those words don't go together. To have a Kickstarter agency, yeah. it just like my ears instantly like, that's some real 2017 uh, No, shit. I know. I, I felt the same way. And I was just kind of like, well, that's really interesting and different. This woman, Alex Daly, who had been reaching out to me for a few years um, via email, and she had been behind something like, I don't know, hundreds of different Kickstarter projects and had raised $21.6 million for <sighs> Kickstarter. Yeah, wait, um, so just quickly for me to understand this, how does she get paid? 
She gets uh, a percentage of the proceeds generated. Okay. I have heard that's pretty standard uh, yeah. for vendors or agencies or whatever. You know, the people attached to a big Kickstarter, I've heard it's pretty standard for them to be taking a percentage, not a flat fee. Right. And that idea might be very surprising to listeners. Like yes. that and just how professionalized Kickstarter projects have become. That's true. Um, I've been surprised uh, since... The launch of the Kickstarter and the success of it, all the people who've reached out who offer to amplify in quotes your campaign. But you're, I mean, this thing went quick. I mean, it was like it did off to the races. Well, you had a lot of good press. It did. Do you feel like the press was kind of the result of Van Alexandra? Yes, it definitely was. I mean, I think it was the the right storytelling combined with the right contacts. So I definitely believe in I'm an advocate in, uh, of good PR. And especially now having taken this leap myself, it certainly was worthwhile. But yeah, once I realized that there was this PR firm that did crowdsourcing and that they were behind the Neil Young Ponos player, uh, the... Don't get me started on Pono. (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought Neil Young flushed his own money down the toilet for Pono. I didn't know. I didn't even know it was crowdsourced. (laughs) (laughs) But you're saying the cool projects, though, like like they've been in the mix on very cool stuff. big projects that worked. Exactly. And there was a sort of a design focus. Um, The more that I kind of peeled apart the layers. I also knew the um, standards manuals guys who were part of uh, the campaigns that Alex had launched. And it turned out that one of them, Hamish, formerly of Pentagram, now of Order Design, uh, he dates Alex. So it gave a little bit more clarity my, to my world. And I was like, oh, got it. Right. So they're, they're, they're design people, yeah. taste people. Exactly. Also, I should take a moment and talk Kickstarter. Um, Look, I, I think it's a great idea for a platform. And from what I can gather, the, the Kickstarter folks have been doing their best to shepherd crowdfunding along in the right way. Like it is. They're not maniacs. They're 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 cool. I, I appreciate, you know. Right. And at the same time, Chris and I have always, you know, been pretty critical. Um Right. There's so many bad Kickstarter projects out there, so many people treating the platform like a damn shortcut, like a, like a magic bullet. Maybe this could be a new paradigm. That's abusive. That's abusive. I agree. Yeah. yeah. All <laughs> that, all that, all that makes Kickstarter a little difficult. But what I liked about your project and, you know, as I kept learning more about it and, and getting into it, what I was, what I liked is that in my view, it's done correctly, pure to the platform, if you will. And we wanted to dig into all that stuff a little bit. Um, like here's one example of something that I responded to about your campaign. Um, your campaign offers two choices to people. Right. You could pre-buy a $100 reissue of the plaque or a, uh, I guess the fancier one was the, the manually engraved super pro version. Um, you don't have a bunch of stupid stretch goals and garbage. Um, and, I actually did two prizes. I noticed that immediately. I was like, oh shit, there's not like a laundry list on the right hand side of the page. It's like pretty concise. Awesome. I appreciate the simplicity and that this is kind of a um, like a one time event. Like you're not suddenly in the replica plaque business. Right. Your business is design. Yeah. Actually, you know, now that I say that though, like it occurs to me that to do a Kickstarter properly, you do have to bring some business discipline to the effort. Which is another criticism of Kickstarter projects, of course, that um, that people launching these things aren't always considering 
the business reality, the, the, the gravity of taking large sums of money in exchange for promises? From a business perspective, uh, estimating something that could be anything from 100 units to like 2,000 units is an interesting challenge because you really don't know what will happen and if the market will love it or not. And Kickstarters are actually like a much more complex business than it looks like at the outside. Um, you know, you, you just think, oh, cool, I, I want to make this thing. I just tell my idea to the world. But for one, there's a, the whole challenge of telling that story and actually documenting it. But beyond that, just the vetting of all of the details, everything from prototyping to packaging to legal to licensing of audio, renting video equipment, uh, talking with the Sagan estate, talking with NASA, um, just making sure that all of the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. It's actually way more complex than I had ever assumed. So we're recording right at the end of your campaign. Um... I mean, I should note that by the time this episode comes out, everything will be wrapped. Right. But as you're closing in on the finish line, uh, do you know the number you're at right now? Like the, the money number? Um, last I looked, I think it was at 265000 Hell yeah, bro. So where are you taking us to dinner? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but that's a big responsibility. You know, thousands of people have collectively surrendered a quarter million dollars to you. And now, you know, now, now you got to deliver on these promises. Yes. So you have to design the project properly beforehand. Um, I mean, you, you have to confirm that you're even allowed to do this. I think that's sort of what you're talking about uh, regarding speaking with the Sagan estate, with NASA. Right. There are so many stories of failed Kickstarters. Y you, knew, you knew what the threat was. You're old and wise enough to know that uh, I'm about to hit publish on some major promises. I better make sure I've sorted out the plan. Yeah. And that should be scary. You know, exactly. Kickstarter isn't something where you can just figure it out later, you know, after you get the money, because you know, you're going to get the money. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, you didn't know how much, of course, but the idea is strong. It's well done. There's a reason pros like Van Alexandra wanted to be a part of it. Wow. So from the moment you hit publish, you kind of know what you're in for. There, There's a quite a few um, layers of fear um, in the realization of it. One was the, uh, just the financial investment up front because I have been uh, chasing this project for about seven months. So I don't even know the amount of time that I have invested in it. I'll put it this way. I spent two months just working on a spreadsheet that estimated uh, cost of goods with a margin calculator that I could so that I could envision different scenarios from low quantity to high quantity runs and see what uh, once everybody got their uh, commissions and fees, because there's a bunch of people that get commissions from this. Um, Kickstarter takes a bit. Amazon and Stripe take a bit for um, the payment gateway fees. Um, Taxes take a huge, huge chunk. chunk. I mean, huge chunk. I think that's one of the more fascinating aspects of, of Kickstarter projects. That for for a, with a successful project, your personal P&L suddenly balloons dramatically. The money's just dumped in there. Um, and, and I'm sure you created an LLC or some corporate entity to shield your personal finances from the, the, the liability concerns of this whole project. 
maybe it's just a, maybe it's a single member LLC. So all the, the, the tax liability just passes through to you uh, individually. Um, but in any case, the, the tax burden is complicated. Yes. And, uh, th and there's no escape. You have to turn over 30 something percent. Yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that people understand that uh, because this project was a success and, you know, you'll be receiving such a large sum of money. You know, now you are personally in the highest tax bracket and and all of your income for 2017 will be taxed accordingly, not not just the Kickstarter money. So yeah, it, I mean it's cool that you've raised a nice chunk of money, and I, and I know you're not complaining about any of this, um, but I, I I think it's worth noting that for you, um, the money is, well, you're you're last in a long line of collection, and at the same time you carry all the financial responsibility. Oh, and on top of that, you have to produce all this product. Yeah, stuff to fill exactly. the orders. Well said. I mean, that's that's exactly what people don't think about. But it's funny, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. This has been a, an amazing success and I've been overjoyed and, uh, you know, I'm excited and pro super proactive in the fulfillment um, as well. But people have this sense of like, you won the lottery. And it's not that at all. I mean, you nailed it, James. I mean, uh, you know, I'm in the highest tax bracket, I get hit hard, and then you get layers on top of it, the platform makes money, like I said, Kickstarter and Amazon, um, PR team, other people that I um, partnered with for the video production, um, the site production, it took a lot, uh, a village to realize this thing and legal, accounting, all sorts of stuff that I really, at the outset, didn't know that I was going to be getting into. But there's a high uh, liability and a high potential for actually losing money on ventures like this. I can I could make a lot more money selling um, websites or um, identity designs. So You've run successful businesses. You, you know that... To actually make meaningful money, you you have to work and right. work smart and et cetera, et cetera. That, there's no Kickstarter magic money bullet. I agreed. And I, uh, I and I uh, guess you know for me, I just don't always sense that people launching crowdfunding projects uh, see it quite the same way. Uh, to to be to be clear though, um, I feel like your project has the right attitude. Right, you're, you're doing it right. Uh, people are in good hands with you. You're the right person to bring pioneer plaque back to earth <laughs> and i think that people pick up on all that um, well i i appreciate I, that i think that's a big part of why so many people joined you on kickstarter i appreciate that because um i have always been i've often been critical of kickstarter as a crutch for poorly planned poorly executed ideas i guess sometimes i put too much uh gravitas in the name itself kickstarter that it's supposed to uh potentially get you to <laughs> the next thing i'll figure out the rest later they often don't have a really good plan for the sustainability of uh, said thing but this is like really a micro offering so it's pretty compact and felt right for the platform and that it was in that uh in the standards manual kind of space that it was bringing um something very exclusive uh, uh, a replica of something that was uh, to the public in mass um and I really wasn't sure if people, if it would resonate, you know, I mean, it's kind of, uh, most people know about the Voyager golden record, but very few people know about Pioneer. And um, even at that, I didn't know if it was 
a limited audience or if it was an expansion of audiences, you know. I mean, it's niche, but, you know, it's the internet. Niche is big. My hope was, my instinct was that I was multiplying design audiences with space geeks and with Sagan fans. And that potentially that would have some sort of multiplication effect. Um, on the, tri- the-, the trifecta. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and speaking of Sagan, um, tell us a little about the licensing um, or the, um, the, well, about the rules regarding using a major name like Sagan's in a commercial work. All of the the usage of the the pioneer uh, plaque artwork, the uh, the NASA images, uh, the people that appeared in the images, um, and all of that is dependent on interestingly um, on where the people died. Um, it turns out that Sagan passed away in New York, which does not honor posthumous rights of publicity. What does that mean exactly? Uh, like in California in particular, there are uh, laws against using images of, uh, of celebrities. Oh, um, right. And, uh, but in New York, there's not, which is why I probably, uh, why I suspect that there are images of John Lennon um, everywhere. Mm. Huh. So uh, just an interesting loophole is that um, Sagan died in New York, and so that made it uh, possible for me to use his likeness without, say, written approval um, from anyone. Because that's a lot of it on uh, on this stuff, is that it's a big gray area on what is and isn't uh, usable. And also, my urgency on getting those approvals obviously wouldn't uh, be in alignment with NASA's or, say, the Sagan estate. (laughs) You know, they're like... (laughs) Like, chasing all that down is is wild and like learning all these very specific rules um i think is a, just a part of the design process that underneath the surface there but um you know i imagine though you still you get, you get to make some connections though with the sagan estate and do you have a sense of their take or the family's take on the project have you heard anything do, you know remarkably i did hear from uh the sagans of course when i was trying to contact the sagan estate via email prior to launch uh you know there was like zero communication because I'm sure that they get a ton of communication from the public. Um, But after launch, to my surprise, I don't remember how many days afterwards, maybe three days afterwards, all of a sudden Nick Sagan followed me on Twitter. And I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, you know, uh, all I can think of is like, this is the voice of the Voyager Golden Record. He's the uh, <laughs> Nick. Nick was uh, six years old when he recorded that statement. Hello from the children of planet Earth. Um, that that just resonates, you know, through my head. Like that guy just followed me. This amazing, um, brilliant mind. Regardless of like w- w- his level of interest, he's uh, he's like. Let me hit the follow. Yeah, right. I'll give you that follow. Cool. Cool. Right. But to kind of follow up on your, you know, your your fear thread, you know, I'm like, so does this mean I'm about to get sued by this? Yeah. Is he, is he following me because he loves the brand or is he following me for the cease and desist? Like what, what's exactly. going to happen? Yeah. yeah. So exactly. it's a gamble. It's a so, gamble. Well, do you have a sense? Do you know? I didn't for, uh, I think like 24 hours. I was just like, oh man, what's going <laughs> to, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden I got a direct message from Nick. Um, he said, uh, 
Hi, Dwayne. I'm Nick Sagan. I'm Carl and Linda's son. I love what you've done with uh, the Pioneer plaque. As you might imagine, um, it's an, an important piece of my family's history, and it's great to see the care that you put into your campaign. I was just blown away because it, essentially it was all my fears put to rest. Yeah. But the biggest thing was that the sincerity of my intent came through and that they saw care and love and passion for it. And it was really important to me that it was a celebration and not an exploitation of it. Especially since, you know, I don't know if you know some of the history um, of Sagan um, related to capitalism, but he was vehemently opposed to capitalism in many... Uh, yeah, I mean, Sagan's punk. I know. Yeah. New luck. Thanks again, dude. This is really nice talking to you. Uh, of course. Thank you. Oh, and, man, thank you. Great. Yeah. I'm honored to be part of your show. It's cool. But are you a socialist? I'm not sure what a socialist is. Yeah, I mean, Sagan's punk. The government has a responsibility to care for the people. That's the kind of stuff Carl Sagan did for space. I'm talking about making people self-reliant. Uh, you guys, by the way, you do amazing work with uh, public announcement. I really enjoy the format and, you know, the site, the whole, the whole thing. Well, that brings me to an interesting point. Uh, what, do, what do you think about becoming a contributor to the publicannouncement.org uh, destination homepage? Oh. We want to add you to the artistic roll call. The roster. Awesome. M dash. Oh, man. Publishing access. I would be thrilled. Public announcement puts me in the driver's seat. You know what, Dwayne, even though you're an advanced guy on the computer, we'll send you our onboarding package that will kind of walk you through all the necessary steps. It features a video of James and I kind of explaining the process to you. I think that it'll it'll help you get situated. <laughs> you know, I think cool. it'll, it'll really explain our vision and, and what it means to us and how you, you fit into that vision, you know? <laughs> cool. I think we're good. You got it. All right. Appreciate it, babe. Thank you guys. Later. Take care. Bye. You're listening to Public Announcement. I'm James Ellis. And I'm Chris Black. Uh, this week's show was produced and edited uh, by Jim Nicholas. Thanks to Dwayne for joining us. You can Google Dwayne King Pioneer to find him and the uh, and the Pioneer Plaque Project. The SEO is strong, mm. uh, and he got good press, so you can probably just Google Dwayne King. And also, of course, you can uh, you know you'll be able to find Dwayne out there on the uh, the destination homepage, publicannouncement.org. Um, uh, we look forward to his contributions. Yes, we do. Oh,
Down, diamond dog.